Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and then eliminate all but three. Today I'm joined by a new voice on the show, John. Hello, John. Hello, Aaron. We have our lists and our red pens ready because today we're discussing the DC Extended Universe. And today with the more modern DC movies, we're not talking about the old Tim Burton movies, but of course being the age groups that we are, Batman and Batman Returns had a huge impact. The idea of this massive summer blockbuster that Batman was, was so amazing. That really shaped so much. Like today, I don't know about you, but Michael Keaton is still my favorite Batman. Oh, yeah. And I know, of course, that you are a huge fan of the Arkham Asylum and Arkham series of Batman games. You can't beat going around beating up bad guys as Batman. I would say that we like Batman more than Superman, at least cinematically. Yeah, I mean, uh, so Superman, he's like bulletproof, everything proof. And one of the scenes in the movies we're going to talk about, the scene where the Justice League has to bring him back from the dead and they all have to fight him at one point because he's just fighting against them. Mm -hmm. And seeing them all fight him, you see how powerful he is. Batman doesn't have that. He's got a suit of armor. He's rich and nuts. Yeah. And he makes the joke that he's rich. That's a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth pointing out that being the extended universe, we are not talking about the new The Batman with Robert Pattinson, and we're not talking about Joker, because as far as I can tell, they are not considered part of the extended universe because they don't connect. They're almost one-offs, which I'm fine with. I don't mind that at all. I wish Marvel would actually do some one-offs. I've talked about Joker once before. I liked it. It has problems. It's not this masterpiece, to me at least, that people seem to think that it is. The Batman was awesome. It was long. It definitely could have used some trimming. It's just a whole lot of movie. And it's weird to think of too much movie as a complaint. I just don't feel that it really needed to be three hours. But as far as the elimination process of this episode, they are not, in a sense, at least not technically, as far as I'm aware, part of the DCEU. So they're not up for elimination. And you saw Joker, right? I did. Just like you said, I think it stands apart. A lot of people compared it to Taxi Driver. Absolutely. Yeah. And I thought it was very much that, but I, I took it for what it was as a standalone movie about the Joker. One of the things I love about the Joker character is he's basically reinvented every time. Even if you want to compare Joaquin Phoenix to Heath Ledger to Cesar Romero, they are all vastly different variations of the character. All right. So who's your favorite Joker? That's the thing. It's hard for me to say who's my favorite. I like them all for different reasons. Yeah, that's a tough one. Except for Jared Leto, which we'll get to. But I don't think it's his fault, which we'll also get to. Yeah, but you know what? That scene with Batman and Jared Leto Joker at the end of... At the end of the Snyder Cut? I want more of that Joker. Yeah. (laughs) I do wish the Snyderverse would continue. I would not have said that before the Snyder Cut. Once the Snyder Cut dropped, I did get that feeling of, wow, I really wish they would have kept going with this. And who knows? One cool thing with DC, though, is that you can have these one-offs and different versions of the characters like three different Batmans a year and a half apart. They're going to have the Robert Pattinson Batman, and then with the Flash, that one has the Ben Affleck Batman and also the Michael Keaton Batman. But Marvel can't do that. At least, I know they're bringing in the multiverse, but they're not going to have two different Iron Man movies come out a year apart with a different actor playing Iron Man. Yeah, Mel Gibson's not going to be Iron Man in, in some random movie in the future. In relation to Marvel, though, DC movies, at least, are known for being darker. They even make jokes in Deadpool 2. Oh, that's so dark. You must be from the DC universe. (laughs) I don't know. What do you think about about these films being, you know, air quote, dark? Personally, I like it. I like dark movies. I like um, dark, dirty, gritty. Some of my favorite movies end with two dudes punching it out in the rain, in the mud, just knuckle to knuckle, face to face. Like, I like that in movies. 
but I don't like movies about divorce and disease. <laughs> so you want, a, you want a dark movie that's dark like Batman v Superman, not dark like Schindler's List. Exactly. Okay. I want to see two guys that don't exist beat the crap out of each other. Right. Well, you're describing escapism, which is what movies should be. Movies can also be used as protest, used as education, as entertainment. It can be whatever you want it to be, and you want it to be entertainment. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. My only complaint really about the dark angle is you do get some movies like Batman v Superman, where visually, if it's shrouded in darkness and rain, there might be an issue even seeing what's going on. When people say dark about DC, they usually mean mood, but Zack Snyder's tend to be literal. Henry Cavill, I want to say it was his first big movie. It was something in the past with Greeks or something. Immortals. It was directed by the guy who did The Cell, I believe. Yeah, and there were scenes in it I was watching, and I could not see the people in the scenes. I could see a glint on a helmet, and that's it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see who was talking, who was standing there, what was going on. I'm like, what is this movie trying to do? Somebody made the joke on Twitter after The Batman came out that the next DC movie is just going to be a black screen. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that I appreciate at least that DC tries to do something different with each film versus Marvel where they each kind of look the same. Don't get me wrong, though. I love the Marvel movies. I'll do an MCU episode eventually. I am very happy with the Marvel movies. But visually, they all tend to look the same. They all look like they were shot by the same person. Yeah, and and it seems like every time something gets heavy, they joke it up a little bit. Yeah, they always throw in a joke. And then when they finally did something that was visually different with Eternals, everyone complained about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we're used to a visual style, sure. I'm just a little tired of them always looking the same. And I know that a TV show needs to look the same across 22 episodes, but a movie series doesn't. So I'll give DC that, that they at least are trying something different. You can have just one good movie and then just another good movie. Kind of like comic books. 70 years of Batman comics are not one giant storyline. It changes every couple years. It changes every miniseries. In the old days, it changed every week. Speaking of movies that look different, I thought Aquaman had kind of a unique look. Yeah, it did. It actually had a really neat look. And before we dive into that, pun intended, (laughs) (laughs) let's go ahead and get into the movies that we'll be discussing today. So today's films are Aquaman, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad, The Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984, Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League, aka The Snyder Cut, Birds of Prey, and Shazam. So you mentioned Aquaman, let's go ahead and talk about that. That one was a bit of a surprise hit, no one really thought that it would make a billion dollars. Aquaman's one of those movies where the first time I saw it, I didn't really care about it. But the more I thought of it, and the more it sat with me, I really started to appreciate all the sort of weird stuff. There's some weird stuff, the trench, the character designs, the fight sequences. James Wan, who directed that, who also did Malignant and the Insidious series and the Conjuring series. Malignant was good. Malignant was in my best of 2021 episode. All right. There were a lot of really cool visual flourishes in Aquaman. Even if you don't like the plot, there's a lot to look at in the movie. It looks amazing. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to get used to the wet look because there are hairs floating around and things. But halfway through the movie, I stopped caring and I got used to it. The Black Manta attack sequence. When oh, that was great. Oh, when they're jumping off the buildings was incredible. I don't dislike Jason Momoa. He just has yet to actually really do anything that impresses me. I feel like he brought kind of a swagger to Aquaman where 
previously there was none. Aquaman was a running joke, and they even make jokes about him in other DC properties. Even recently, uh, the Peacemaker TV show yeah. made fun of Aquaman <laughs> in a very, very fun fashion. And I just think Jason Momoa was like the perfect guy to pick for him, because before Aquaman, I never heard of the guy. The way he carries himself is almost like a biker of the ocean. He's cool. And so I'm like, all right, man, Aquaman's cool. One of the things I appreciate, and I will say this about a lot of movies, is I like when movies go full comic or full stupid or or any other thing that requires them to just dive headfirst. Ah, I made the pun again. <laughs> <laughs> right into a concept that would otherwise be kind of silly. So Aquaman, at its most basic, is kind of silly. But they run with it. They have people riding seahorses, fights and submarines. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate when a movie doesn't try to soften its edges or cut corners to appeal to more people. I like when a movie decides to have an identity. They're like, here's his world. And, and if you're not okay with it, tough. Not a lot of movies go full sci-fi or full fantasy. They usually have some sort of fish-out-of-water character, like in Hellboy. They yeah. have some character that's the audience surrogate to sort of explain what's going on. And you can see their reaction of, oh, that's so weird. Yeah, I can't even remember that guy's name, but they had to explain every Maddox little thing something. to Who him. cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter. And then in part two, they're like, oh, he got shipped to Alaska and nobody cares. Because nobody cares. And Aquaman, they just throw you right in. They do not care about normalizing it. Yeah. Which I liked a lot. The only problem I have with Aquaman is a part at the end. So during the whole big battle sequence, because every movie has to have armies rushing at each other. Yeah, I, I could have done without the giant battle, but It's whatever. a little too much, but here's my main problem. So there are a bunch of uh, humanoid crab characters that are basically forced to join the battle on one of the army's sides. Like they're threatened to the point of they have to join up. And then Jason Momoa, Aquaman, shows up riding this giant and he's just smashing everyone and just killing all these armies. <laughs> and in theaters, I was watching it thinking... At least one of those armies did not want to be there. Yeah. They were there by force. And Jason Momoa is coming in hero style with, you he's know, like, the zoom in lens yeah, and the music. Crab. And it's supposed to be this big hero moment where he's the king of the ocean. And I'm just thinking it's kind of murder. If you're trying to frame it as if he's being heroic and he's killing what are arguably innocents, that doesn't really sell the heroism. Yeah, that's true. But overall, I love the film. Gotta be honest. I really like Aquaman. I am hanging on to Aquaman for now. I'm going to hang on to it for now, but I, I like the movie a lot. I just don't think it's that important of a movie. Oh, yeah. No, I don't really think that necessarily any of these are important movies. <laughs> uh, but Aquaman is good, but not the greatest, if that makes sense. Let's go ahead and eliminate one. For me, at least, I am crossing off Shazam. It was a lot of fun. I like the Christmas setting. I like that it starts off with a very dark flashback. And I didn't even expect there to be demons that represent the seven deadly sins. So it goes to some very dark places I appreciate. But I think the biggest disconnect is that when Billy changes to Shazam, they really seem like two different characters. I never bought that Shazam was Billy. Yeah, that's true. And the, the other thing is like, it, it just feels like a popcorn movie that you really don't care about. I don't want to sound too negative because... I actually did mostly kind of like it. <laughs> that that seems like faint praise, right? Well, I enjoyed it. I just, I didn't really love it. When I watched it, I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I've never, ever said, I want to watch that again. I am kind of tired of Mark Strong being the villain and stuff. He was the bad guy in the first Kick-Ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was the bad guy in John Carter. I'm sure he, he was the bad guy in plenty of other things as well. Uh, Sherlock movie? Probably. No, he is. He's the bad guy in the first uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see? I, I've liked him before. I liked him in the first Kingsman. He's a real fun actor, but... I just didn't... Uh, I'm the bad guy. Like every <laughs> single movie. 
I did like when all of the foster kids also turn into Shazams. That was fun. That was a fun sequence. I think that's a good word, fun. You know, I think their cover nailed it because he's like blowing a ball of bubble gum. Mm-hmm. It's like a nice piece of bubble gum. It's good for about 10 minutes and then you're like, eh. Yeah, I tried watching it a second time, couldn't get into it. But the first time in theaters, yeah, I was surprised by how much I liked it. It was fine. Good plus is what I would call it, but that's that's not enough to keep it for me. Yeah, me either. It's scratched. So what about Birds of Prey? I hate to say it, but I don't like the cinematic version of Harley Quinn. I grew up with the Batman animated series. I like Harley Quinn as a character. I like Margot Robbie. But the thing is, is that if you really stop to think about all of her scenes in those three movies, she's a cool caricature and Margot Robbie has energy to spare. But there's just not anything to her character. The movie version of Harley Quinn does nothing for me. She has no character. She's all style. It's like she's paint on a wall in those movies. And you can tell that they really just wanted her in the second Suicide Squad because when you watch the movie, her character is borderline pointless. She almost has her own mini movie that has nothing to do with anything ultimately. It's just 20 minutes of her off in this weird marriage fantasy before she rejoins the plot later. I'd almost be interested to see a movie with just her figuring stuff out. They did that with Birds of Prey, but even that was sort of a softening a bit, I guess, of the character because she's supposed to be crazy. She was an interesting character with the Joker because the Joker would basically abuse her and she would take it and had this kind of codependent relationship with him. Then when she was on her own, she was the most dangerous person around. Like she would set up traps, kill people, like just... Yeah, when they were together... Crazy. When they were together, people were just as afraid of her as the Joker. Those two were a dangerous combination. I'm not too sure what they could have done differently. Because again, I do like Margot Robbie. I think the casting was good. It's just that version of the character and how they used her just wasn't quite good enough. She needed to be a little darker and a little less obnoxious. I know we started talking about Birds of Prey, but let's let's talk about Suicide Squad 1. The concept of that movie was the baddest of the bad. But all of those characters don't feel that dangerous. They don't feel that bad. They're supposed to be the baddest of the bad, and none of them really feel like they're very bad. Yeah, they all kind of feel like Jai Courtney drinking beer and throwing boomerangs. Well, he was the greatest surprise of that movie. Yeah. I like The Suicide Squad Part 1, but I like it in a way that I kind of hate watch it, like The Last Airbender. It's not a good movie, but it's kind of fascinating to watch because it's not a good movie, especially if you know the history of it, where... They filmed it, spent another $50 million essentially refilming it, and had two separate cuts of the movie that existed at the same time. One was cut by a trailer studio, one was cut the normal way. They tested both versions, and then they edited the two together, which is why when you watch it, it's like watching a two-hour trailer, the way it's cut and the way characters are introduced. Yeah. Deadshot is supposed to be the most dangerous assassin. Harley Quinn is supposed to be absolutely brilliant and crazy. These characters are meant to be dangerous. And they're not. They're almost funny. Part of the issue is that we really like antiheroes. We love Breaking Bad. We love bad guys that are good, like Loki. Dexter. Dexter. But here's the problem is that, at least in the Suicide Squad, with the core central concept of the movie, you need at least one of them to be an actual threat. They did put like a normal good guy in there, but he was like a drone. Uh, Randall, not Randall Flagg, that's the stand. <laughs> uh, Rick Flagg. Yeah, Flagg. Yeah, and they did a great job with him in part two. Yeah, he was great. In they part really two. redeemed his character in the second one. Yeah. I liked him a lot in that. And then, of course, they had to kill him off and just to they give killed him. Peacemaker an arc. The softening of Peacemaker in his TV show actually makes sense with the growth of the character in the Suicide Squad. That actually makes sense. But the first Suicide Squad movie, all of the characters are not that bad. Yeah, they're not that bad. 
they're definitely not good. They're supposed to be the baddest of the bad, but then you give Will Smith a redemption arc with his daughter. You give um, the guy who turns into fire a redemption arc because he doesn't want to kill anymore. And none of them feel that dangerous. Jai Courtney, a redemption arc for acting good for once. (laughs) I am not keeping the first Suicide Squad. I do enjoy watching it, but not because it's a good movie. When I looked at this list, that one I was already scratching off in my head. It's just not good. Didn't enjoy it. Never care to see it again myself. Oh, really? See, I I can rewatch the first Suicide Squad very easily. But again, not because I like it. Birds of Prey, to me, though, is actually a bad movie. They try to make it R, but just like Harley Quinn, it doesn't really have an edge. Just by throwing in a bunch of F words doesn't make it edgy, doesn't make it dark or bold. We needed some boldness, and that's why I think Joker connected with so many people. Birds of Prey, though, felt like an R-rated movie aimed at 14-year-olds. So Birds of Prey, I have not seen. I've tried to watch it because it's like the one on this list I haven't seen. So I feel like I'm missing a little page in the chapter, I guess. It was a little too jokey. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is good in it. There's a sequence where Harley Quinn raids uh, a police station, and it's Harley Quinn. She would just walk in there with mallets, with mallets and she would kill people. Spiky baseball bats. But they made her non-lethal. I'm okay with Batman killing people, as long as they're bad people. Batman killed people in Batman Returns. Like, yeah. He, he put dynamite in someone's pants and pushed them in a hole, turned around and smiled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so this idea that Batman doesn't kill is a lie. Yeah. I don't think that they would let Harley Quinn kill policemen, though. <laughs> but then change the sequence. Come up with something else. If you come up with sequences where she is very clearly trying to not kill people, again, it doesn't really feel like the character. The movie, though, it's misguided, unfunny, annoying. I just needed more. I needed more of something. The movie needed to decide, is this just a comedy? Is this an action movie? The action choreography is terrible in it, by the way. Uh. It's really, really badly shot. The way that Suicide Squad is two movies edited together, this feels like a movie with half the movie cut out. I'm going to mark it off my list because I still have yet to feel the need to see it. I'm definitely crossing it off. How about a little positivity? As far as The Suicide Squad, I am keeping that one for now. That's the newest one. The pseudo-sequel reboot-ish where it does carry over some characters. I actually laughed quite a lot at it. It has that James Gunn humor that got him in trouble. I liked John Cena. I like him as Peacemaker. I like him on his show. They redeemed Rick Flagg as a character. I love that they have a sprawling cast, a huge amount of people in the Suicide Squad, and they have no problem killing off any of them. <laughs> yeah. Some of the jokes do become a little obvious. I did groan at a few parts because it's like, okay, that's the obvious joke. That's where you're going. I loved King Shark. <laughs> yeah. King Shark is awesome. The movie's a little long. Uh, it's like it has its climax, and then it throws in a giant starfish too. Like they just need to double up on the climax. I really like this movie. I'm going to keep it for now as well. I like all the characters. I like that they kill off a pile of characters in the beginning. And they're like, oh yeah, we just threw them in as a diversion. But we expected them all to get murdered. And we hated them anyway, so who cares? Well, that's one thing too that they don't really address later in the movie. Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg are in that group. They're in the A-team that are sent in to be destroyed. Was Amanda Waller trying to get Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg killed? I would say absolutely. But she's kind of a bad guy herself. Did you ever watch the Batman Beyond TV show, the cartoon? I caught a few episodes. Okay, well, spoilers for Batman Beyond. So if you don't want a 15-year-old cartoon ruined. (laughs) (laughs) But in that, a 70-year-old Bruce Wayne has a new student, this teenager named Terry. And Terry is an orphan like him. And then you find out that Amanda Waller had Terry's parents killed to see if she can recreate the situation that created Batman to create a new Batman. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
I just like they kind of pulled off the gloves for this one. They made the people dangerous. Some of the characters they put in there were really out of left field. They, they had went them full comic. People. Yeah. They went full comic. Like look full at on. look at the costumes like Javelin and the Weasel. Yeah, they have the giant starfish come out and they even like announce its name on screen. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is great. Yeah, it's this a lot is of fun. So much fun. So now, how about Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984? So personally, I thought Wonder Woman was a great movie. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad you said that. I love the first Wonder Woman. I think it's great. I agree, totally. My only problem was I kind of wish they did less CGI on the villain at the end. Oh, you're one of those people? Well, I'm okay with a lot of CGI, but like I didn't recognize the guy at the end. Yeah, you didn't recognize that the god of war had a big old mustache. They had the actor involved in it, and then he just, it seemed like he turned into somebody else. I have complained many times about CG on this show, but usually my complaint is a matter of quality versus necessity. And the ending of Wonder Woman didn't bother me at all. Hmm. It didn't bother me at all. That actually surprises me. We'll get into excess when we talk about Man of Steel, that's for sure. Aside from that, I thought it was a great movie, good story. There was a lot of words going around, like she's too short or this or that. Oh, yeah, she wasn't, um, I I don't know what word wouldn't be rude. People expect an Amazon to be taller and thicker. Yeah. And buffer. A lot of people wanted Lucy Lawless. Oh, yeah. And I love Lucy Lawless. I like Xena. I think it's a fun show. And she was really good on Ash vs. Evil Dead. But that aside, I don't see any problem with Gal Gadot playing Wonder Woman. I thought she did really well, plus... Chris Pine? Chris Pine, yeah. And I thought the way they filmed it, she looked tough. The action looked tough. It's like they filmed it in a way that you believe that she's capable of everything that she's doing. And we're not arguing for realism. It's a fantasy film. That's fine. When you have an example like Wonder Woman, where it's framed so well that she looks amazing and awesome doing these stunts and things that she does... Plus, well, it's kind of hard to get too into it because real life fights don't look anything like any of the Hollywood fights, but... Well, they're movies. It's fine. I get that. I don't want everything to be realistic. That'd be depressing. Oh, yeah. We would just cry. I like it, though. I like Wonder Woman a lot. I absolutely despise Wonder Woman 1984. I agree. Uh, Wonder Woman 84 was really fun the way they made fun of the 80s. And then there was some action that was kind of, I didn't really know how to take it. It seemed like they were making fun of the old 80s action. Okay, I know what you're talking about. So in the beginning, like the mall sequence, yeah, it is played, I don't want to say for laughs, but it is played comically, and it does seem to sort of reflect the old show. Yeah. And I was fine with that. I actually liked the mall sequence, and one of the reasons is, is because when you have a movie called Wonder Woman 1984, I want that 80s aesthetic. I want that sort of neon, teased hair cheesy glow that the 80s movie seemed to have. Although I grew up in the 80s, it was a lot more of the color brown. The 80s was a muddy decade. Yeah. But I want that cheesiness. So I actually like them all sequence. The problem is, is that that's the second intro sequence in the movie. The movie starts with the flashback to the island and the movie's two and a half hours long already. And it does seem to have this sort of unclear identity. The tone is a major issue. The villain is a weird sort of Donald Trump analogy, I think. I like the cat woman. Cheetah? Cheetah, yeah. Yeah. I really liked that on multiple levels because it was kind of like she was sick of getting pushed around. Yeah, and she had a crush on Diana, which made sense. And then she just got power and it went to her head. And that made perfect sense. And then they have the wish dude. I forget his character's name. I think it was Max. That was the dumbest villain I've ever seen in a movie. (sighs) My perspective is that either one of those villains could have been great. I like Kristen Wiig. 
I like Pedro Pascal. I think Pedro Pascal did a great job as that character. Yeah, he did a good job acting. The problem is, is that they needed to give the focus to one or the other. Trying to cram both of them in was a mistake. Motivations are lost and become kind of unclear. Like we could talk about and explain why she becomes a cat person or why he becomes hungry for power by the end. Neither one of them get enough time to fully explore it. And so they both come off as kind of shallow and shorthanded. In some movies, you have magic. In some movies, you have superpowers. This guy had no rule book. It was like he would make wishes, they would come true. It would take away from someone else. But then some of the wishes were in conflict. What What if two people wished to be president? And then what happened at the end? They needed everyone to give up their wishes at the end. And there's no way everyone in the world would have agreed to do it. There's no way. Come on. And what about the guy in the beginning that wished for a cup of coffee? He has no idea that his wish was literally granted. Movies have rules. They can be unreal. Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy has rules, and the movie tells you what he can and can't do, which is why part two is a little confusing because he comes into the real world on his own. We're not going to get into that. (laughs) Other than part two, Freddy has very clear rules. You go to sleep, he can kill you in your dreams. If you hurt yourself, you can wake up. He has rules. With Pedro Pascal's character, though, they do a very poor job of really elaborating on those rules. They made a huge mistake allowing the situation with the wishes to become as grand and worldwide as they did. It starts to unravel. It doesn't really make any sense to the point where as a viewer, your suspension of disbelief starts to get put in question because it doesn't make sense. Bring him back, her boyfriend. Oh, the whole, okay, let's talk about that. So it's a little rapey. Let's just say it right now. And I'm not using the oh, term. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he took over another guy. Yeah. I totally and I'm not saying that, that. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I know it's a trigger word, but the reality is he takes over another man's body against that person's will, or at least that person didn't know that it was happening. They just sort of disappeared and I assume abandoned their family and their jobs for their for the few days where his body was being quantum leaped. And then Gal Gadot has sex with him, but it's another person's body. If that was reversed, if the genders were flipped no one would be okay with they that. would not be okay, yeah. And some people weren't okay with this one, but there really wasn't a lot of outrage, really, at all. If you think about it in any way, though, just have him appear. He just appears. Why did he have to take over someone's body? Yeah, she wished for him to come back. I, I didn't understand why he had to take over another person's body. The explanation of the invisible plane, I don't remember that being in the comic books at all. And the invisible plane they introduce out of nowhere completely out of the blue, out of nowhere. And then at one point she's flying as she's remembering him. And I'm like, okay, so she flies now? Like, If they had kept that to where she was using her lasso to ride the lightning or even clouds, fine. But having her actually fly was a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. That whole movie was was a mistake. When she fights Cheetah in darkness, I did hate that. And they introduce Gal Gadot's gold armor, which they set up earlier in the movie. And of course, she's going to eventually wear it. But she wears it for like a second and then throws the wings off. It felt unnecessary. It's just to sell toys. Yeah. The armor meant nothing. It just looked cool on a poster. I mean, she could have just wore it after the battle. Like, I was victorious. Here's my celebration armor. You know? Yeah. Something. She she didn't have to do anything in it. Or even if they set it up to where maybe she didn't feel that she deserved it or that she wasn't good enough. And like you said, she could have worn that as a celebration. She could have gone back to Themyscira wearing that and oh, been welcomed. Man. Yeah, that actually would have been a lot better than yeah, what they did. Because that would have been character development. She didn't need it to fight at the end. In the movie that they made, it was borderline irrelevant. She shows up like, I earned this. I, yeah, I did if the right it was thing. a character motivation to where she had confidence that maybe she had been lacking, there you go. 
Yeah. Give it an actual reason. And it still could have been on the poster. Like Aquaman, he doesn't get his cool suit and trident until the end. It was on the poster. Nobody cared. I am keeping Wonder Woman part one. I am absolutely crossing off Wonder Woman 1984. I'm doing the same. Let's talk about the two original Zack Snyder DC movies, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I'm crossing both of these off. Batman v Superman had an extended cut that came out later. It doesn't really help. It doesn't really improve the movie. There are a lot of really stupid issues with Batman v Superman, like having very, very little versus in your versus movie. The character motivations don't make a whole lot of sense. I don't agree with the reasoning why Superman is sent to fight Batman. Lex Luthor holds Superman's mom hostage to make him fight Batman. I really disliked BVS. The thing I did like about it, I'm going to bounce this off you. They really seem, at least in a way that I thought was really neat, they address how does Superman choose who to save? Like, there's so much going on, and they kind of made a a hero that's classically been American, saving people in American cities, a worldwide hero, like saving people in Mexico City Mm -hmm. and a couple of other countries. They do a bit of a Jesus metaphor with him. Yeah, and it's kind of like, they they ask the question, like, should he be doing what he does? The movie doesn't earn any of that. I liked that. I liked him fighting the, I didn't like what the blob looked like. Oh, you're talking about Doomsday? Yeah, Doomsday, The potato troll? I heard Doomsday's in it, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then when I saw him, I'm like, what the hell is that? But the the problem, the real problem I have with that, though, is anyone who's familiar with the comics knew that Doomsday kills Superman. Uh, The thing is also, Doomsday, he's kind of an ongoing thing. He doesn't just get killed. Well, and he's not just a mutated troll made from Zod's body. Yeah, he's an actual character himself. I thought Ben Affleck did a damn good job as Batman. A lot of people have bashed him, but I really think he's good. I thought he was one of the best Batmans that played a really good Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He was a great Bruce Wayne. You understand his anger and you see that how he is tired, how he's been doing this for so long. I also like how they translated that into him as Batman and how he fights. And it looked kind of like the Arkham video games where he's. Oh, yeah. There's that one sequence. Yeah. Yeah. When he comes up to the floor. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool sequence. There's a reason they put that in the trailer. That's a great sequence. But the movie is too long. And I think that as silly as it sounds, but again, perspective means a whole lot. If they had just called it Batman slash Superman, like with a slash, instead of Batman v Superman, I think it would have been better received just because it's being sold on versus, which is a big selling point because that's a cool idea, but it's not really a versus movie. Only up until one particular small sequence in a two and a half hour movie is it about versus. That's really it. But if they had just not sold it on the perspective, on the expectation of a versus movie, I think it would have been better received. Yeah. And the other thing is, I like all these aspects about it. Like, I really like it, but I didn't like it all together. It felt like five movies. You know what it felt like? It felt like a full length season of a TV show edited down to two and a half hours. Yeah. They really should have dialed back on something, focused more on one or two of the things that they really liked the most. And I mentioned earlier on, too, with The Batman, the new one that too much movie is not really a complaint. It's a weird complaint. I suppose it makes a big difference whether or not you see that as a bad thing, I guess, because with The Batman, I don't think too much movie is a fair complaint as far as being a negative thing to say. But with Batman v Superman, it was too much movie in the bad way. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take that off the list. How about Man of Steel? Uh, You know what? I have never liked Man of Steel. Yeah, we, we've talked about this a number of times, and I think we're <laughs> opposites on it. 
the 9-11 imagery, even though the Man of Steel came out 12 years or so after 9-11, was not very entertaining. And I say entertaining in the way that, you know, it's a movie, you should enjoy it. But this incredible, prolonged, destructive action sequence at the end with machines that are like terraforming the earth and just yeah, slamming the city down. The dubstep terraformers. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just too much. I mean, I remember when 9-11 was new. And yeah, I think seeing uh, Lawrence Fishburne covered in ash, that kind of felt a little too realistic. That's when like the aliens are eating cat food and, you know, all the things that you don't really want to see in a movie. Or when they go to IHOP. Yeah. <laughs> man, the product placement. It didn't really stand out and bother me the first few times I saw it. But I was thinking the other day, I went to IHOP and ate, and then I walked out of there like, that was in a freaking Superman movie. Why? Yeah, and I don't want to say that I'm sensitive to these things, because there are 9-11 movies, which could be argued are way more exploitive than Man of Steel. But the city attack sequence goes on for so long, and seeing just the buildings getting pounded over and over again, if it had been shorter, maybe it would have been fine. But it it was borderline uncomfortable. I feel like even if it was just a little less gruesome for the people on the ground, when the woman gets trapped in the rubble and the two guys are trying to get her out, that part felt... I didn't like watching it. I mean, it wasn't exactly realistic. I mean, it's a Superman movie, but all the destruction combined with real life, I don't want to say... It's hard to describe because I'm not sensitive to violence. I mean, I watch horror movies and things like that all the time. But for some reason, I don't know what it is about the way Man of Steel is made, but it's just too familiar, and that yeah. and that sequence is just too long. I do like a lot of the action. I like I like the uh, the actors and actresses. I thought they all did a good job. Mm. I don't know about the choice for Lois Lane. I like Amy Adams, and I like her interactions with Superman. It is weird that in Man of Steel there is no Clark Kent, and what I mean by that is, of course, he's Clark Kent. There's a whole bunch of flashbacks, but I mean. He's not a reporter at the Daily Planet. Yeah, they never show him working or anything. Yeah, well, he gets the job at the very end. That's like the tease. But I, I really did like how he's wandering around trying to figure out what he's supposed to do because mm-hmm. his dad died and he doesn't know where he fits in life. And well, those are the best parts of the movie. Most people, when I've talked to them about Man of Steel, either like the half with the flashbacks and hate the half with actual Superman or vice versa. I like the flashbacks. I like the stuff with Kevin Costner. And when he is a kid saving the bus and when he is working on the oil platform, when he is not in Metropolis, I like all those flashbacks. That is way more interesting to me than when he becomes Superman and just destroys IHOPs for 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like uh, a lot of the flashbacks. Some of the kid flashbacks, I feel like, go on a little long, but... Even every time I watch it now, it still seems necessary. It's like when his powers overwhelm him, they show how his mom talks him through it. Mm-hmm. Martha! He, Martha! Why did you say that name? He basically goes to beat up a kid, or he wants to beat up a kid, but he knows he shouldn't, and he ends up crimping that pipe with his bare hand. Kevin Costner teaching him how to control himself, not expose himself to the public. When I like how his parents tell him that it's okay for him to not do anything. Yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. And every time I watch it, and I'm not a real soft guy, when I see Kevin Costner hold his hand up to let him die, it kind of gets me a little bit. That is one part that still kind of bugs me because he was in front of a handful of people. Yeah, Just I know. save him. You didn't need to just stand there, Kevin Costner. I know. Let your son save you. But the part that gets me is that Kevin Costner, his character, thought it was so important that he he basically let himself die to protect his son that wasn't even really his son. So I'm absolutely crossing off Man of Steel. Michael Shannon is a good Zod. Ugh. 
I just don't like a lot of that movie. I, I just don't like a lot of Man of Steel. Even the costuming is pretty poor. I was pretty much okay with all that. Zod's soldiers that were working with him directly, they were kind of, they seemed cliche. Mm-hmm. They were paper cutout villains. Yeah. There, there were a lot of things they could have done better. There's only one movie left to talk about and two versions of it. So that is Justice League. Outside of those two, I think we both still have Aquaman, The Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman, right? That's right. Okay. So Justice League, I love how there are two versions of Justice League that are both remarkably similar and yet different. Yeah, The uh, so the first Justice League I thought was... Awful? Please say awful. Well, I thought it was better than I expected, which I expected to be completely awful. It, it had, was a Big Mac. Yeah, it was like a big fat four out of ten type of thing. When the Zack Snyder cut came out, I remember watching it. It took me a couple of days, but I got through it, and I was really, really surprised by how different it was. It and was yet like also com- kind of the same, right? Yeah, it was a completely different movie, but it still had, I don't know what, 70% of the original movie was still in it. I'm not exactly sure what the ratio is of what was shot by Zack Snyder and what was shot by Joss Whedon, but I believe that everything that's in the Zack Snyder's Justice League version of the movie, the four-hour cut, I think all that's his footage. I don't think he used anything that Whedon shot. And if you watch them side by side, there are a lot of alternate scenes, so scenes that were reshot later that Joss Whedon took over. So for those that don't know, the first Justice League was in post-production when Zack Snyder had a personal tragedy and had to leave, and so Joss Whedon was brought in to do the reshoots, except for he ended up doing way more. It wasn't just punch-ins and reshoots, because every major movie has a period of reshoots where they realize like, oh, we forgot this or need to tweak this. And so they go back and they plug stuff in. He reshot a ton and the movie was color timed and finished. So like the brightness levels, the color levels were set to the way that Joss Whedon wanted. So it wasn't really Zack Snyder's movie anymore. Marvel presents. Yeah. And it came out later that despite the tragedy, Zack Snyder might have actually stayed on, but Warner Brothers pushed him out because they saw an opportunity to get the guy that did Avengers. And so they purposefully pushed Zack Snyder out, allegedly, to give Joss Whedon an opportunity to essentially make it his movie. And they spent a ton of money, reshot a bunch. You can tell that the movie was shot in pieces far, far apart. And so when Zack Snyder had the opportunity with HBO Max to go back and finish his version of the movie, and granted, he had another, you know, $80 million and four years of hindsight. So who knows if that's what he would have actually made back then. But I think that the version that represents his vision is amazing. I think the aspect ratio, where it's essentially a square instead of widescreen, I think it's pretentious. He claims it's because it gives you more more visual room top to bottom. Because if you're shooting a movie like a basically sideways rectangle, like most movies are shot, there's not a lot of depth top to bottom. And so he claims that that's why he went square. And without a square image, you, you don't see full body shots. You don't see people from head to toe unless you show a whole bunch of empty space on the left and right. So instead of seeing Batman's face, you might see that he's actually like a six foot four man in an armor suit. That's the idea. Really, I'm used, like everybody, I'm used to movies being in that stretched out format, the wider format. Yeah, widescreen. Mm-hmm. Not stretched, but wider. And I'd say 30 minutes into the Zack Snyder cut, I didn't notice. I still think it's a little pretentious, but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to complain too much about the aspect ratio. It's fine. Yeah. It's weird how the first hour of the Zack Snyder cut is almost the exact same as the first 20 minutes of the Joss Whedon cut of Justice League. Like, if you watch that hour versus that 20 minutes, it's hard to pinpoint, like, oh, that was extra. You don't really get a sense of, 
a whole bunch of new stuff, a whole bunch of padding. It's just a lot of breathing room, and which I appreciate. It, a lot of it comes at you very naturally. Yeah, it's not rushed. It's not cut to hell. It's more of a walking pace of here's the story, less of jump here, jump there, here's that, now yeah. this. Yeah, the, the original cut was very fast paced, but without having that room to breathe those four hours, which in itself is probably too long, but the Zack Snyder cut allows you to explore the events of the world without just getting boom, 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 pushed through everything. The villain I thought was much more organic. He looked better. Oh man, leaps and bounds. Yeah. Way better. Oh yeah. Instead of just one CG character saying mother all the time, they actually give Steppenwolf motivation and character. He is cool. Not cool in like a good way, you know. Yeah. He's not he's not Thanos, but I mean, you actually understand him as a character, which is kind of neat. It's kind of neat. It's way better than the first version. Yeah, they they make him look a little more dangerous and a little more pathetic, which is kind of cool. Like yeah, they give he him He has like emotion in his they face. They give him a desperation. He wants to impress Darkseid. Yeah, and he wants uh, what was it? To let him come back home type of thing or something He's like that? looking for the anti-life equation. That part of the backstory is a little confusing because at one point in time, the anti-life equation was placed within the crust of a planet and they lost the location. Like Darkseid doesn't know where it is, which doesn't make entirely a lot of sense, but whatever, who cares? This is going to be difficult to kind of explore and maybe we won't go too far into it. But now that we've seen the four hour cut of what Zack Snyder had intended versus the Joss Whedon cut, it's worth noting that of the scenes and minutes that were cut from Justice League originally... Almost all of the characters that were cut entirely or trimmed were the non-white characters. Yeah, they really flushed out Cyborg's story a lot. Well, well, before we get into that, like we'll talk about Cyborg. But specifically, the Joss Whedon cut of Justice League cuts characters that Cyborg cares about. A woman and her child trying to get money from an ATM. Yeah. And the Flash's love interest and a whole bunch of Cyborg more of Cyborg's dad, Cyborg's mom. Mm -hmm. And I know there's at least one or two other examples. But it's very suspicious that the non-white characters are almost all what were cut originally. Yeah. So take that for what you will. But that is something that became obvious watching the Snyder cut. And Cyborg did a great job. I thought Cyborg, yeah. he was the best part of the first cut of the movie. And he is very, very interesting in the Snyder cut. His motivations and the trauma that he's going through. I was fine with the actor in the first cut. But they didn't give me enough of Cyborg. I just didn't really connect with him. I didn't know him good enough. I didn't get enough of his story. The Zack Snyder cut, he kind of went through that story and explained it a lot better. It made a lot more sense when you got to see all the things that he went through. Yeah, he was a lot more relatable. I think that made him just a much better character in general. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I really only have about two complaints about the Snyder cut. One is the same complaint with every Zack Snyder movie. There's too much slow motion. If they cut all the slow motion from a Zack Snyder movie, they would be 15 minutes long. The other complaint is also slow motion, but it's the scene where the Flash's future love interest crashes her car and flips through the air and he rushes out and does the super speed and saves her. There's these CG hot dogs flying through the air in slow motion. They take a sweet moment and make it weird by him grabbing a hot dog out of the air. And I know it, it pays off, but to have him like, oogling this girl in slow motion which i guess is questionable on its own but then also too having these hot dogs flying by her face and he like picks one of those out of the air i don't think it's even that it's the stupid smile on his face where yeah he's like ooh, a hot dog one of the things i love to ab conversate with people is 
the difference in the fight between the Justice League and Superman when he comes back. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the original cut where they have the jokes, the quips. Mm-hmm. And then when I watched it the second time, they didn't have the little quips and jokes in it. Then I thought about it. It added a level of seriousness to it because they're fighting the most powerful thing on the planet right then. He's confused and he could easily just vaporize them all. I wouldn't be making jokes if I was having to fight Superman. Like, right. When I thought about it, I'm like, the first cut was just stupid. Even in the first cut, though, it has that cool moment where the Flash is running and Superman's eyeball just turns sideways and, and sees the Flash. The Flash yeah, is like, the Flash just starts to me. panic, like, oh yeah. my God. That, that's a good moment, and, and thankfully that is in both cuts. But yeah, it's treated with a sense of foreboding even in the Snyder Cut, yeah. which makes sense because a confused Superman is very dangerous. And the other thing is these people like Superman. They respect him and, you know... They don't he, want to hurt their friend. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think the way Zack Snyder's cut handled that was better. So with crossing off the original cut of Justice League, I am keeping the Zack Snyder's Justice League version, the Snyder cut, and I'm going to go ahead and say that is absolutely one of my three. Of the other ones I've saved, the Suicide Squad, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman, I have to eliminate one of those. John might be in the same situation. Uh, yes, I am. The first cut of Justice League, I'm scratching off. The second one, I'm absolutely keeping. That's 100% on the list. I'm actually going to take that one step further and go ahead and eliminate my final film. And without hesitation, actually, as much as I like these movies, looking at these side by side, the Suicide Squad is not as good as Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Now, it might be maybe more fun and definitely funnier, but the Suicide Squad is not a better film. And so I am crossing that off. Yeah, and that's a tough decision. Let me let me think here. Aquaman was good. Suicide. The thing is, Suicide Squad was fun, but it was also kind of more edgy. I feel like the rated R kind of brought something to it. They had more freedom. I feel like that's an important factor, even though it's used to just make, make crew kill jokes. things and yeah. make jokes. Yeah. Let me ask you this, though. So thinking about those two, if I were to ask you... Of those two, which one is the best movie? And of those two, which one is your favorite? Would you have a different answer for both? First question, I would probably say which one's a better movie? I guess I would say Aquaman. But the problem is I kind of say that because it's a little more classy. But my favorite movie is definitely Suicide Squad. Okay. So you got to make a choice. Which one are you crossing off? Oh, man. I'm going to go with uh, I'm crossing off Aquaman. I'm going to go against you on that one with Suicide Squad. So, John, that leaves you with your three. What are your three movies? So, my three movies are Zack Snyder's Justice League, Wonder Woman, and The Suicide Squad. As for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen. That helps us a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by John. Thank you for listening.